so much hair for a newborn. We need to start planning his baptism and his holiday outfit and, ooh, his birthday party. Sure, but um, how long are you planning to stay? If you're one of those who goes to meet your newborn nephew and stays until his first birthday party, switch to Cricket Wireless. Use your phone as many days as you want in Mexico without extra cost. Smile. You're on Cricket. Requires eligible plan. Minimum $55 per month. Data speed usage and other restrictions apply. Coverage not available everywhere. See store for details. Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another Monday edition of the Born to Talk radio show. I'm your host, Marsha Witeka. If you've been listening to my show at all, you might know that conversations plus connections equals community. I call those my three C's. The heart of my show is what's your story? It's my belief we all have stories. Some are similar. Others are uniquely different. But storytelling brings the passion of my guests to life through our conversations. So be prepared to be entertained, informed, and today especially inspired. Because my guests today are from Guide Dogs of America. Stephanie Coleman is the Puppy Program Coordinator, and I want to welcome you to the show, Stephanie. Hi, Marcia. Thank you for having us. My pleasure. And I'd also like to, to welcome the other guest that's on the show today, which is Mike Steinmetz. Mike is a volunteer puppy raiser with Guide Dogs of America. And welcome to the show, Mike. Hi, Stephanie. Thanks for having me. Okay. Sorry, Marcia. Thanks for having me. And me. Well, you know what? It's live and it's okay. If this is the only boo-boo that we make for the full hour, we'll be doing great. I wanted – I, I so liked the mission – of your organization that I would actually really like to read it to our listeners. And that is guide dogs of America empowers people who are blind and visually impaired to live with increased independence, confidence, and mobility by providing expertly matched guide dog partners. Our services are provided free of charge and available to people within the U S and Canada. It's a remarkable mission, and I want to just mention my friend uh, Kathy um, Norris because Kathy Norris Johnson um, is a good friend of mine, and that's how I came to even know about Guide Dogs of America, and I want to thank Kathy for for, um, introducing me. Those are those connections I was talking about. So, Stephanie, I think it's always kind of interesting when we start these shows to learn a little bit about my guests, so I thought... Could you just tell us a little bit about your background? Absolutely. So I kind of have a little bit of a mixed bag professionally. I have a master's degree in communication, which I used initially to build a career in nonprofit PR and then also as a freelance journalist. At some point along the way, I switched gears mm-hmm. completely and became a professional dog trainer while at the same time doing some freelance journalism and some freelance uh, communication communication consulting on the side. Uh, but those, those two different skill sets really meld nicely now that I'm in my puppy department position here at GDA. And let, we're going to call it GDA from this point forward because we will all know that that stands for Guide Dogs of America. Could you just tell us briefly a little bit about the history of this organi- organization? Absolutely. 
absolutely. So GTA I hear a dog has a really interesting. <laughs> we have a really interesting backstory. The organization was originally founded in 1948 under the name International Guiding Eyes, and it was founded by a man named Joseph Jones, who was a railroad machinist who lost his eyesight. And he went to go get a guide dog uh, from some of the existing schools at the time, but he was actually denied a guide dog. The existing school said that he was too old. Now, Joseph Jones oh. was 57, so you can imagine wow. that, you know, that's, that's mm-hmm. not exactly old. So no. he basically went back to his union, the International Association of Machinists and Aerospace Workers, and with the support of that union, International Guiding Eyes, now known as GDA, was born. And to this day, we're mm-hmm. still largely supported uh, by contributions from the IAM and all of its locals from around the country. So we're, we're extraordinarily grateful to have that union support and to have that union relationship. I bet. Where, where are you located? Our campus is in Silmar, California, which is sort of the northeast San Fernando Valley. We are on a gorgeous seven-and-a-half-acre park-like campus where we have a, a nursery facility on site, a kennel facility, uh, a complete dormitory. So when our students get guide dogs, they actually live here with us. So it's most people, when they initially come to campus, they're, they're shocked at just how park-like and, and pretty it is. It's kind of a little hidden gem in our San Fernando Valley. It's beautiful. I, I have, I've been there. I, why, did you, why did you personally get in, got involved with guide dogs? Was it your professional dog training that kind of got you over there? Not exactly. It's kind of a fun story. So I first got involved when I was in graduate school uh, working on my master's degree. I was taking a multimedia production course, and I needed uh, something that I could sort of work on for the entire semester. I loved dogs. So that did sort of naturally steer me to wanting to do something dog-related. I ended up spending a a semester kind of shadowing a number of different employees here on campus and learning quite a bit about the organization while I was producing a little mini documentary. Um, So that kind of sort of sparked my initial love of the organization and what it does. Um, I later when I lost one of my own dogs, a bunch of friends and colleagues uh, got together to sponsor the training of a guide dog puppy in memory of the dog that I lost. So that kind of further deepened the connection. And then when it came time for me to sort of switch back from doing, you know, freelance consulting work and look for something you know, more of a traditional nine to five, all of the stars aligned just perfectly and the puppy department mm-hmm. position was open and, and I was able to become a permanent fixture here. That's, that's a great story. That's a great story. Mike, Thank you. this is a story show. This is truly a story show and now it's time, it's the Mike time. So I'd like to know a little bit about your background. Tell, us, tell our listeners about you. Sure. Um, I'm born and raised in the San Fernando Valley area of Los Angeles. Um, I'm married with three wonderful children. Um, We have a pet dog in the house and have become um, increasingly involved with Guide Dogs of America throughout the years. I also have have three younger brothers, two of whom happen to be visually impaired, 
and that um, has sort of led me back to Guide Dogs of America. No kidding. You know, let's do some glossary terms here for those of us that I always find that important because you you use the word digitally digitally impaired. Is that the word? Is that the term you used? No, visually. Visually. Oh, I was going to say, but no wonder I didn't understand. So visually impaired. What is the difference between um, visually impaired and blind? Is is there a difference? Stephanie, do you want to handle that one? Well, there's all different. I mean, sometimes people think of when someone's blind that they can't see at all. Um, but there okay. is a legal definition of blindness that doesn't mean that the person can't see anything at all. So the legal definition of blindness, it's defined as having less than 2200, 20 over 200 vision in your best eye, best corrected. So a lot of our clients, they still have varying degrees of residual vision, um, but they still qualify to receive, receive a guide dog. So blind and visually impaired, I think some people, when they hear blind, they assume zero vision, and that may be why both terms, you know, are, are used. Right. Right. That makes sense. Mike, in the case of your brothers, um, so mm-hmm. your, did your brothers have guide dogs? Yes, actually, uh, both of my brothers have had multiple guide dogs. Um, they, have, they both um, have a, a genetic condition called retinitis pigmentosa, and that oh, causes yes. the, gradual, the gradual loss of peripheral vision. And so I would say within the past um, 15 to 20 years, they've had, each of them have had three to four uh, guide dogs working with them. Wow, that's is that is that what inspired you to become a puppy raiser yourself? Yes, absolutely. I was um, at the graduation ceremony for uh, my brother Greg with his most recent dog, Wiki, and my wife and I were sitting there, and we were thinking about how could we give something back to GDA because of all of the wonderful things that having a guide dog allows my brothers to do. Um, and my wife said, well, we should go sign up to be a puppy raiser. And so that's what we did. Wow. That's cool. How many puppies have you raised altogether? I've raised two so far. Okay. Jazzy All right. was my first and one. What was the name? And Jazzy. Jazzy. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. And and she um, was career changed, as they call it at the school. She wasn't um, quite able to make it through the, the rigors of the guide dog program, but the trainers there at the school recommended that she might be a service dog in another profession, and she's now um, living with a, a Iraqi war veteran who's suffering from PTSD and helping him get through his daily living. And oh, Astro... Uh-huh. Astro, our second puppy, we turned him in earlier this year, and no news is good news. We don't know too much about what he's up to other than um, we, got, we got a letter that told us that he was doing really well and a picture of him in his harness as he's doing his training, mm-hmm. and we look forward to those monthly communications. I yes, bet Astro you do. That's real. at Guide Dog College. He's studying hard. Oh, good. There you go, Mike. <laughs> 
Um, so, Stephanie, um, does does guide dogs serve clients beyond California? What what where do where do your dogs go once they've graduated? That's a great question. Sure. So. GDA, we serve clients from throughout the United States and Canada. And no matter where they live throughout the country, we fly them to campus uh, when they are approved to get a guide dog. So we have, we have working guide dogs throughout the country and also in Canada. Wow, that's so cool. I'm sure people want to know what, what breed of dogs that you, that you have found that work the best for, for guide dogs. What, what breeds would do, do you have that make great guide dogs? So we use primarily labs, followed closely mm-hmm. by lab and golden retriever crosses. We do some purebred goldens and some purebred German shepherds, but the majority mm-hmm. of our working guides are Labrador retrievers and Labrador golden retriever crosses. Oh, and they're just, they're such beautiful dogs. And um, you'll have to excuse me as I interject throughout the show my own relationship with Vanko because that was the dog that I knew. And um, I learned so much being a friend of a puppy raiser as far as That's differences great. And, and, you know, and, and, how, and how the public needs to understand things. And so I... And and mm-hmm. and Vanka was it was a cross, um, a, just a beautiful beautiful dog. Um, where do Wonderful. where do your dogs come from? How how do you get them? We actually breed the majority of our dogs. We breed ourselves. Uh, we have a full oh. breeding facility here on campus, and that has sort of allowed us to breed with a mindfulness of the type of temperament that's going to be best suited to guide dog work. So if you think of, you know, you can probably think of a handful of friends who have pet labs and often, and I I say this all the time, coming from, you know, a background as a professional dog trainer, having worked with a number of clients with labs, because of course, and it's an extraordinarily popular breed, a lot of labs Mm -hmm. are very energetic and it takes a while for them to sort of settle in and calm down and, you know, become great pets. So we, of course, have bred, um, you know, our, our, our dogs are typically nowhere near as lively as what you see in a lot of pet labs, because obviously that wouldn't, you know, that wouldn't work well for service dog work, for at least wouldn't work well for guide dog work. Um, we're also part of a breeding co-op in partnership with a number of different service dog schools. So we will often get dogs uh, that were bred at other schools but then are donated to us, and we do the same thing in exchange. Nice. That's nice. I know you have videos because I've, I've witnessed the videos in the nursery when you're watching those pups. They're just unbelievable. The puppy so, cam. Yes, the puppy oh my cam, God, the incredible. live puppy cam in the, yeah. in the nursery. Be warned, it's a giant yeah. time vampire. You will get lost watching oh, the puppy cam, and you you'll look up and realize you've been in. staring at it for an hour. I know. Um, how how old are the puppies when they actually begin your program? Well, it depends on, on what you mean by begin the program. They go home with puppy raisers when they're eight weeks old, but they okay, start okay. learning. Wow. We start working with them sort of, you know, with their ultimate career goal in mind, honestly, from, from birth. So, you know, our okay. comprehensive breeding program includes a lot of puppy enrichment, you know, they're handled by different people from, again, by birth. 
uh, we actually have a volunteer position, a highly coveted volunteer position, I might add, called Puppy Hugger. <laughs> and those are volunteers oh, that work in, in, in the nursery, you know, handling the puppies. Uh-huh. Um, as the puppies get older, we start, you know, we're exposing them to different things, sights, sounds, smells, surfaces. They start learning basic obedience behaviors, um, just, you know, following a simple food lure, maybe, you know, into sit down, working on come when called. Uh, so they, they start the program pretty much when they're born. Wow, that's really great. Do you, do you find that males or the gender of the dog, a male or a female, is, the, is it irrelevant in the training? I think so. I mean, I don't have yeah. the actual statistics, but, you know, right. I can't I'm just think curious. of just yeah. thinking of dogs on the ground. Do we see more males versus females mm-hmm. that go on to become guides? I, I don't think that's, that's the case. I, I think they're both okay. both e- equal opportunity learners. Got it. Cool. Well, what are the requirements for somebody to get a guide dog? Say you, you, you say you would like those services. What what is the uh, um, process that they have to go through? That's a that's a great question. So the requirements to get a guide dog for somebody who's blind or visually impaired, you have to meet the definition of being legally blind. Uh, you need to be at least eighteen. We don't have an upper age limit, and I think in our last class that graduated, our youngest graduate, I believe, was. 21, and our oldest graduate was 69. Wow. Um, So you have to be at least 18. You have to be legally blind. Uh, You need to be physically able to walk one to two miles a day. Um, You also have to have completed orientation and mobility training. That's basically learning how to use the cane. And you need to have what we call three to four routes. That's places that you go on a regular basis. So for us, think of it this way. The dog is a mobility tool. If you're not independently mobile and you're not going places, then a guide dog isn't really going to enhance your life. So that's where the things like having three or four routes, places you go on a regular basis, being physically able to walk one to two miles per day. Mm -hmm. That's why those particular requirements are in place. I, I, I didn't know that, but it certainly makes sense. So once um, you've been approved for a dog, then what happens next? How does that part work? So once the whole application process is complete and you're scheduled into a class, um, the majority of our of our students are trained here on campus. We do sometimes do um, what we call an, an in-home training where we'll send a trainer with a dog out to a particular client, but the majority of our, our clients are trained here. Um, the clients, so they live... On campus, they live in our fully outfitted dorm for a full three weeks. They arrive to campus on a Sunday, and the first few days are spent without a dog, but working with the trainers. It's just a little bit more opportunity for the trainers to get to know the students, work one-on-one with the students. Um, The students have learned, or excuse me, the trainers have learned obviously quite a bit about the applicants through the application process. They've been uh, evaluated. So the trainers typically have dogs in mind for the students, dogs they think will be a good match, but they spend those first few days working with them without the dog, teaching them some of the guide dog basics, teaching them some of the basics for how they're going to handle their dogs. Uh, And Mm -hmm. then the dogs are 
introduced to the students. The students receive their dogs on, on Tuesday. And from there, the training process continues. I sort of think of it wow. as it's kind of like being a guide dog handler. It's a little bit like doing a, a partner's dance. So the dog has learned <laughs> his part while he's here, right? The dog mm-hmm. spent time learning how to be a guide dog. The handler has to learn his role on how to handle a guide dog. And then we put the two of them together and spend the rest of the time sort of finessing that, that partnership and giving them an opportunity to sort of learn the finer details of handling That's, that dog and how to turn the two of them into a well-polished team. Wow. Well, Mike, as one of those people that, that's, that's raised a puppy um, on more than one occasion, um, have there been some challenges that you didn't really expect when you started doing this? <laughs> Very much so. Um, I guess first <laughs> I and you foremost laugh. is, is you, you have to be, um, you have to be outgoing when you're in public because that dog is, is attracted to all sorts of folks who want to come over and say hi and learn about mm-hmm. the, the dog and the program. And so um, you have to be comfortable dealing with strangers is one of the, you know, in, out in public in a friendly way. Um, I think the other thing that, that I've had to deal with as a particular challenge is I, I get to see pretty frequently what these dogs do on a daily basis. And um, you, you showed earlier, Marsha, I think, uh, walking around the sidewalk that was yes. all broken up. Right. And, right. and I, got, I had the ability recently to, to walk behind my brother and his guide and, and navigate those broken sidewalks, very similar to what you showed. And I think perhaps um, my expectations, looking at my puppy that I'm, I'm fostering and saying, how is he going to be able to do that? Because at you know, six months to nine months of age, um, you don't really see the maturity that the fully trained guide dog has. So there's there's a little mm-hmm. bit of a uniqueness there for me. I bet. Do, do you, um, as that, and when you say foster, is, is that interchangeable with raising? Is that one and the same? Fostering a dog and raising yeah. a dog, is that the same? Yeah. Thing? Okay. Okay. When you, when you have these puppies, I mean, like all puppies, um, they require veterinarian care and supplies and things like that. And do do you, as the puppy raiser, are you responsible for paying for that? Not for the veterinarian care. I get I am responsible for getting the dog back to the the veterinarian department at Guide Dogs of America, and they mm-hmm. do all the veterinarian care there. Um, supplies, yeah, I I I have to pay for their food and toys and. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty much that's about it in terms of okay. expenses. Not bad. And the nice thing and is that because, you, we're, yeah. because we're a nonprofit, I believe that can be written off. So puppy raisers always have, have that option. Yeah. Oh, that's keep, nice. Keep I have like an expense. good records of what, you, what you're spending sure. on food that makes throughout sense. your time. Yes. Are you, Mike, are you currently raising a puppy right now? No, I'm not, and I'm I'm okay. sort of missing it. I you, I can you, you had mentioned. There you go. <laughs> this, this is spot for you, Mike. How old are your children? You had mentioned that you had some kids. Yeah, 25, 19, and 18. Okay, so when you raised that those first puppies that went to your brother, how old were they at that point? Were well, they were they younger? Let's take a step- 
let's take a step back. None of the puppies that I particularly raised have gone to my brothers. Oh, I'll see. Okay, got it. Okay. okay. But you, how old were your, let me ask it, let me rephrase this a little bit. How old were your children when you first started raising yeah. puppies in your house? They were high school age um, okay. when we first started and um, very busy, active lives. So the, the main responsibility for the puppy raising fell to me. Um, my wife and my kids certainly did their share of feeding and cleaning up and taking out for activities, but I was the primary puppy raiser. Got it. So what do you think that um... – I think this is a really, really important thing here, Mike. What do you think the public should know or remember when they are seeing a working guide dog team or or any service dog? Because I think it's important to describe um, that 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 circumstance of the vest versus the harness. Yeah. So, what what would you like people sure. to know when they see a dog starting with the vest? With the vest um, and, and continuing to when they have the harness. Um, you should always ask the handler um, per, for permission to interact with the dog. And that, that was one of the um, enlightening things to me, being out and about in public with my puppy or being with my brothers and their working dogs, is that people feel that they can just come up and, and pet the dog or talk to the dog and really ignore the handler. And, right. Um, you know, that, you wouldn't walk up to someone and pet their wheelchair um, if they were in a wheelchair. You would certainly think twice about doing that. But it, mm-hmm. it, the, the cuteness of the dog, I think, enables people to feel free to do that. So number one um, would be to not distract the dog and not to um, interact with the dog without the handler's permission. I think the other thing that I see um, is people with uh, dogs that may or may not be service dogs that are in places where perhaps they shouldn't be, and that can just disrupt months of training or years of training if a non-service dog were to interact with a service dog in a negative right. way. Mm-hmm. Right. That's absolutely something that I learned with Kathy. I know that when we would go out with Venko, whether we went over to the park or we took a walk down by the beach or we even went to a restaurant or got some coffee or wherever we went with him, you know, um, first of all, Kathy was working. You know, Vanko was mm-hmm. working, mm-hmm. but Kathy was working Vanko. And so consequently, I was often the observer. I would observe exactly what you said, Mike. Everybody wants to go up and pet that beautiful dog because they are so beautiful, but they don't know. And that's a great ambassadorship and opportunity for education. I remember we were in a basketball mm-hmm. gym at, at the local park, and all these kids were just like, and it's like, we, I was almost like jumping in with Kathy at the same time. So wait, 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 wait. This dog is, this dog is working. So let me let's let's talk about how you could perhaps pet this dog, but here are the steps in order for you to do that. Because obviously yeah. if you're blind, you don't want your dog licking all over some kid that wants to pet them. They're 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 on the clock. They're they are working. You're you're a a, a blind person and your safety is paramount and your dog is protecting you. So um um, yep. Absolutely. 
I just, I mean, yeah, really, like I said, go ahead. Um, I was just going to say that that my I've heard my brother on multiple occasions say it's like if you walked up to um, someone's car and started loosening up lug nuts one at a time, um, <laughs> perhaps loosening one or two lug nuts a little bit is not going to be a problem. But when you start loosening up multiple lug nuts, that tire is going to fall off. And mm-hmm. the analogy to being his dog that his dog, when it's in harness, is working, and it needs to be completely focused on the task at hand, which is to get him from point A to point B safely. Mm-hmm. It's it's true, and, and gosh, you know, um, and I know we're going to get into this through the show, but gosh, they do more than just walk you across the street. It's just absolutely remarkable what these dogs are able to do. You want to just... It's, I don't even. It's, I can't. I don't even. I can't really even find the words to describe how how they intrinsically. But maybe it's not intrinsic. It's it's actually trained how they um, know things. I know with Kathy, right. you know, I would sometimes I would think, gosh, you're no. I mean, it was like I'm not playing around with you. When I say no, you need to understand that I say no. That that you have to use the words as that puppy trainer that that blind person is going to use. It's a, it's a mimic and you're, you don't get to have your own language with, Oh, come on, baby, we're going to go for a walk. You know, no, you, your responsibilities as raisers um, are, are pretty important. And I thought maybe Steph, you could talk a little bit about what are those requirements to become a puppy raiser? What's involved in that? Sure. So, I mean, in the broad sense, the biggest requirement to become a puppy raiser is to really have a desire to want to help change somebody's life by, you know, becoming a part of this process. And then also making sure that you have the time, that you truly have the time necessary to invest in the proper raising and training of this dog. It's always important to remember that you are taking on this responsibility with the end goal of the dog going on to become a working guide. So it's a little bit different than choosing to bring a pet dog into your home. I mean, we do have, you know, a couple of pretty specific requirements that often will be like the make or break point uh, for potential applicants. The number one being uh, that the dogs, unlike pet dogs that are typically left home during the day when you leave for work, our dogs can't be left home alone on a regular basis. So puppy Mm -hmm. raisers who work outside of the home if there's not another family member who's going to be involved in the raising and training of that dog. They need to make sure that they have permission from from their employer to take the dog with them to work. So that's probably the the biggest one. Yeah. Yeah, When you were raising puppies, did you take them to work? Yes, Mm. but my work was in in a home office. So um, I would take Astro and put him on a tie-down in my office. Um, underneath my desk and he got comfortable doing that and then we would go out for walks on a you know on a regular basis and then he would come back and hang out with me while I was at work I'm now I'm now working at a new company and and it's a dog friendly office and so I'm I'm quite confident they're going to allow me to bring my next puppy to work with me terrific That's great so yeah we so have Stephanie we have quite a few. go ahead Oh, I was just going to say, quite a few of our puppy raisers do, you know, work in, uh, you know, offices away from home and take the dogs. We have teachers that are puppy raisers that are successfully raising puppies in their classroom. You know, we have puppy raisers that are in all different facets of corporate America. 
Yeah, it's really so. If we, if somebody was to say, okay, well, this is starting more and more like something I'd like to do. What would you mm-hmm. want them to know as some of the re, what um what what do they what do they do what do they how do how do puppy how do puppy raisers know what they're supposed to do? Well, we completely walk them through the the process, and we provide ongoing support throughout the entire time they they have the dog. I always say that every puppy we place in a foster home comes with complete tech support. Um, but the puppy <laughs> raiser's primary job, they're mm-hmm. basically, puppy raisers are teaching basic obedience, so teaching the dog sit, lie down, stay, come when called, walking on a leash, how to not scavenge up assorted things off the ground, so skills like leave it, drop it, things like that. Um, they also oh, man, I can hear Kathy saying that. Leave it. <laughs> Leave it. Okay. Don't pick there up that leaf yep. on that walk. <laughs> oh, yeah, you got to think retrievers. They they like to put things in their mouths. Um, <laughs> raisers also teach a number of different things that we sort of group under the term house manners, and that's basically how to be civilized in a home environment. So not to jump up on the counter and try to steal things off the table, not getting up on furniture, not digging through household trash cans or digging in the backyard. And then probably the biggest thing that they're doing at the same time is creating a very well socialized dog that learns how to be calm and confident in a wide variety of public settings. So that's where that requirement comes to basically be taking the dog with you lots of different places. That socialization is about exposing the dog to the world so that all of the common things that we have in our busy urban lifestyles really become no big deal. And when the puppy is sort of raised with that as its lifestyle, that sort of that's how we create that calm, confident dog. So the dog is in a much better position when it comes back to campus or goes off to college to be out in the world learning guide dog skills um, and not be, you know, startled by the trash truck or concerned about the different texture on the ground when you walk over a, a manhole cover or, or something because our, our puppy raisers do a great job teaching the dogs how to be able to handle all that stuff. Yeah, Marcia, if I could you, jump in. Please. From, from a puppy raiser's perspective, there is so much support that's provided from GDA to us and from other puppy raisers to us as well. Um, we, don't, we went into this, my, my wife and I went into this not knowing anything about how to raise a puppy, and we were just delighted with the support we received from from gda and the difference between our first puppy and our second puppy was even greater they they started a, a kindergarten i guess is what they're calling it for the puppies mm-hmm. and, and boy do we do we have um wonderful support and reinforcement from the folks in that department hmm. that's, that's good to hear and and yeah and, yes go ahead. go ahead and i and i was just gonna say some of the some of the places i was I, I like to take my dog was to the mall. Um, I like to take the dogs uh, on the train so they can experience that. Um, we've gone to football games and basketball games and volleyball games and um, all sorts of different environments to get the dog exposed to as many different distractions as possible. Yeah, I can see. And when and, we and talk about providing ahead. that support, it really comes in a lot of different different. Uh, different formats. So, I mean, obviously they have full, you know, access to call us when they have questions. 
uh, but we do offer a required puppy kindergarten class. So we basically offer puppy training where the puppy raisers bring the puppy um, and they work with either a GDA staff member or in some cases our volunteer area leaders have been taught how to train some of these, these classes, but they're coming to GDA organized obedience classes, GDA organized, organized events. Uh, we have monthly puppy raiser meetings. If, if a puppy raiser is ever struggling with something that we're not able to address in part of that weekly class, we'll send a trainer, someone from our canine development department to go out to their home and work with them one-on-one. -on -one. I mean, everyone here, our, we are all fully committed to giving every puppy that we put out with a, with a puppy raiser every possible opportunity to go on and eventually become a working guide dog. So oh, yeah. that tech yeah. support takes lots of different flavors. I bet it does. And, and is, is there always a need for more puppy raisers? Is there seasonal things, or how does that work? There is always a need for more puppy raisers, <laughs> and right now we have a we're actively recruiting new raisers. We have an Wonderful. abundance of litters on the ground right now, um, following what was a little bit of an unexpected puppy, what I was calling a puppy drought. Um, so we have lots of puppies on the ground now uh, and we will you know through the rest of of the year so i like to say if this is something that you've ever been considering and i think that's the mm -hmm. case for a lot of people they're they've been exposed mm -hmm. to it maybe they've seen a puppy in training somewhere or they've looked at the website or they've thought about it um you know i think people often think about it for a while before they jump on board so if if you're listening and you're one of those people we would love to tell you more about the program and welcome you to the GDA family because, boy, do we have a lot of cute puppies. Tell, as, since that's, that's the perfect lead into what I was just about to ask you, so how would people contact you? What's, that's the best way to get in touch with you guys. So if you're Is interested this your website? In, absolutely. If you're interested in learning anything about GDA or particularly the puppy raising program, if you go to the website, which is guidedogsofamerica.org, um, there is a complete tab under programs for puppy raising. It details all the different facets of the program. There's a frequently asked questions page that I think is really comprehensive and covers most of what people will typically ask. Um, mm -hmm. We also do monthly puppy raiser info sessions slash orientations here on campus, which is another great opportunity uh, to come really learn all the ins and outs of, of the program, get a great idea of what all the different responsibilities are. The next one is uh, Saturday, I believe the 21st at 10.30 here on our, our okay. Silmar campus. This you coming offer Saturday. Mm -hmm. Yes. If you go to the, to the, go to the website, we do have a calendar of events, and we're in the process of loading all of the info sessions for the rest of the year. You're totally welcome Perfect. to come to, to any of those. Is, is the puppy cam also available on your website if people wanted to just fall in love? It How is. would they see that? It is on our, mm -hmm. you go to the homepage, guidedogsofamerica.org, and scroll down. It's toward the bottom of the homepage on the left-hand side. It's not mm -hmm. always broadcasting. Um, okay. You know, sometimes sometimes the puppies are behind the scenes, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but yes, it's it's 
very, very frequently showing the adorable puppies. As I said, I be bet. careful. It's a huge time time vampire. It's very easy <laughs> to get up into the puppy cam. I love that. Much- that's that's just great. So let's 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 presume that somebody's listening today, and they really are inspired, and they are. I don't know. Maybe they don't really live near near Silmar. Maybe they live in another part of the city. Maybe they're in Orange County. Um, how mm-hmm. does someone apply to become a puppy raiser? What's the process for that? So that's a that's a great question, and I think it's a great opportunity to point out that while we're based in Silmar, um, our puppy raising program is active throughout most of Southern California. So all of our nice. puppy raisers. When they come on board, they join what we call a, a puppy raiser group. I, I like to think of it as like a Girl Scout troop or a Boy Scout troop, but for puppy raisers. Mm-hmm. And that's sort uh-huh. of your so that's your your regional access. Um, we have a group in Orange County. We have a group in South Bay. Uh, we have a group out in Ventura County. We have a group down in San Diego. Um, our Silmar group probably covers, gosh, all of the San Fernando Valley and starts to stretch. Uh, east into like Pasadena. Um, we have a San Gabriel Valley group. We even have a group of puppy raisers up in uh, Tehachapi. So I'm all of kidding. our puppy raisers need to be within a reasonable driving distance to one of those particular areas because that's where you're going to attend monthly puppy raiser meetings. Um, so if if that's if that's the case, if you live within within a reasonable distance and you want to jump on board, the first great step is to go ahead and submit an application, which is available on our website. Um, it's mm-hmm. basically the, the application. It's a it's a four part or the application process is four parts: completing the application, going to one of the regional monthly meetings, coming to one of those info sessions slash orientations. And then the last step is we send a representative from GDA to your home to make sure that the home environment is considered safe for one of our puppies. It's helpful it. for us if we have the application, but I certainly tell people, you know, if you would like to come to a meeting or come to the orientation session first because you're thinking about it and you want to get a little bit more information before you submit the application, mm-hmm. that's fine. That's, that's, but those are and, but you, the, the four steps. But let me understand this. So when you mentioned all these um, off-site locations, you only have the one college campus in Silmar. Is that correct? Is that that's correct. the turn-in location, yes. regardless? Okay, I, right. I thought that was the but case, but I wanted to be clear about that. These different, right, right. We've created right, these like different satellites. regional groups. Exactly. Right. Got it. That's cool. And I know you referred to. You know, I, it's funny the the terminologies. Um, you refer to the nurse, you know, you call it a nursery, and um, mm-hmm. and I is that um, is there something that you do there that um, gives those um, pups the best chance of becoming guide dogs? Or is there something that goes on special in that nursery? Well, that's where I mean, absolutely, having those volunteer puppy huggers, being able to offer all of that very early puppy enrichments, where we're we're exposing them to different surfaces, different sounds. Um, starting to teach some of their basic obedience skills. The, the puppies now, so we're doing that. All of that happens in the nursery basically from birth to uh, seven weeks old. On their seven-week birthday, they transfer <laughs> from the nursery 
down to the puppy wing of our kennel where a different set of volunteers spends a week with them. So they're meeting even more new people um, and having an opportunity to work on more of their basic obedience skills at just seven weeks old. Um, they've had and they continue to have exposure to being in a crate. They've had uh, that we put them in a crate that we put on a wagon and they go for walks or, you know, they're led around campus in a little wagon. Uh, and that sort of helps prevent the puppies from getting carsick, exposing them to that, that movement. So by the time they go home at eight weeks old, it's almost like they have tiny little puppy PhDs. Yeah, that's so funny. That's so funny. And our, yeah. our, our, our puppy raisers who have raised before, so before we were able to implement all of that new enrichment stuff and then have now gone on to raise a puppy under this new program, they're really saying they notice a huge difference in the confidence level of, of the puppies. They're amazed at the skill set that the puppies arrive with. It's, it's great. We're, mm -hmm. we're really proud of all, all of the uh, early enrichment and the, the effect that it's had. I bet. What did you want to add, Mike? Oh, I was just going to say one of the things that, that they teach us in the program is that the puppy should be in a sitting position and waiting for us to release the puppy before he or she eats her breakfast or dinner. And um, that seems to be one of the things they focus on before they give the dog to us at eight weeks old because those dogs sit and stay until you release them for their food from the day you get them. Isn't that something? Wow. Yeah. Mike, when, when you were raising those puppies, when you had Astro and you had um, Jazzy, um, how long mm -hmm. do they actually stay in your home with you? How long do you keep them they, as you're raising them? We get, yeah, we get to pick them up when they're eight weeks old, and mm -hmm. then we keep them until we uh, get a call-in letter saying your dog's ready to come into college, and that is generally from 16 to 18 months, I think. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, you know, yeah. I know, I can just tell you, I can recall so many times being with Kathy, and I, I, I'm just going to like, why do you keep talking about me? Well, because I experienced Vanco with you, Kathy, that's why. <laughs> um, and people would say, mm -hmm. oh, my gosh, you know, how are you going to just, like, give him back? You know, and it's yeah. like, well, you know, so I think that must be a question every puppy raiser gets. So I'd like you to address that, Mike, when people ask that question to you. How do you prepare yourself to um, have your dog go off to college? Yeah, it's, you know, it's, um, it is the most common thing that people say to me is I could never do that because I would get too attached. And I mm -hmm. could never do that because I wouldn't give the dog back. And I would, my answer always is when they ask me, how can you do it? I say, how can you not? When you, mm -hmm. if you go to the, if you go to a GDA graduation ceremony, for example, oh, yeah. you hear the stories, you hear the stories of the, the blind or visually impaired folks who are getting their first dog or maybe a, a, a second or third dog, how it changes their lives. You, you realize that, you know, this is not, you're not getting into this because you want a pet. You're getting into this because you want to provide a valuable tool to someone who could use assistance. And that's why mm -hmm. I do it. And I, and I look them in the eye and I just say, I don't know how you couldn't give it up knowing what its, mm -hmm. what its purpose is. 
Right. I, that's and and that's that's I I presume you know you don't go you don't make this kind of enormous commitment. You're talking about an eight week old eight week old puppy that you're going to raise for you know a year and mm-hmm. um, or longer. And you you you're if you want to have a pet, there's nothing wrong with having a pet. But then you're not going to be raising a puppy for the purpose of providing that that blind or uh, visually impaired person the independence of you know I turning a light on you know just doing things that are just keeping you safe um, mm-hmm. you know dogs are Marcia, you're just it's it's yes I I, I yes? often um, cite cite some experience that I had uh, recently taking my brother to see a doctor for the first time. And mm-hmm. we pulled into the parking lot and got out of the car and he got his dog harnessed up and ready to go. And he said, find the door. And the dog walked him right to the glass doors. And <sighs> then he said, find the elevator. And the dog took him to the elevator. And when we got upstairs and into the doctor's suite, he then said, find the counter, and the dog took him right up to the counter so he could interact with the office staff. And I mean, just trying to accomplish all that without that puppy, without that dog, um, I just can't imagine. I know. And uh, maybe there are people listening today that are very familiar with what a service dog can do. Um, but for mm-hmm. those of you that are listening that are going, Really? They really can do that, and the answer is yes. They really can do that, and and so much more. I so admire, and I know I just keep going back to this, Mike, but I so admire the persistence. Sometimes I would look at Kathy and go, really? This is exhausting. She said, well, you know, there's a purpose here. There's a focus here. He can't be walking down the street for a walk and decide to start chewing on a magnolia leaf. First of all, it's going to make him sick. Number two, he's distracted and he's not paying attention to what he's supposed to be doing. So leave it, and you don't just say leave it. You, I mean, the way I, I mean, like I mean, like, I'm scared, Kathy. You know, I mean, it's it's um, it's deliberate. How is that would be the word I would use? It was it was deliberate. And when you have razors like yourselves to recognize the importance of what you're doing that then gets translated to your brothers that can mm-hmm. can get them to the door and get them to the and it's like what are you reading? I mean, how do you know this? You know, it's it's <laughs> it's just it's mind blowing and it's exciting and I just I don't know. Um so um I guess you know you had mentioned something a little earlier Mike about um updates. So did mm-hmm. you get updates? Once you turned your dog in to just kind of know how your dog was doing? Yeah, you do. Um, it's, it's generally on a monthly basis, and mm-hmm. they, the, the school does a great job about letting you know what your dog is doing, what, what's, uh, what stage of its college pro- progression it is in. Mm-hmm. Um, we got our first letter for Astro a couple, three weeks ago, and there was a picture of him sitting in his harness that he's going to be training in. And it just melts my heart to see him I sort of bet. fulfilling his, his purpose. 
Mm-hmm. And it's he's working learning hard. how to cross the streets and he's learning how to turn left and turn right, which are all the basic things that a new, newly turned in puppy will be doing. You know, it's interesting, mm-hmm. and I think this is important to, to also talk about because this is another one of those glossary terms, and that is, you know, unless you're really familiar with this program, you might not even understand what we mean when we say harness or when we mean in its vest. So when the dog is in a harness, I, describe what a harness looks like so people understand how that's different than a leash. Sure. Uh, so, go ahead, Mike. Either one. Go ahead, Mike. I was going to say it's it, it's a um, amazing piece of equipment. It's it's um, I think the GDA has a um, a special harness. It's made out of leather and it goes sort of underneath the dog's head and then under its belly and uh, has a a um, handle on the top of it that sits on the dog's back that allows the handler to interact with the dog. Mm-hmm. Is that perfect? Is that that's, right, Stephanie? That's, uh-huh. Yep. And the dogs that's, that's, at the same a- time, they're also they're also on a leash. So a, a yeah. guide dog handler will simultaneously have, or a guide dog user will have simultaneously have his dog in harness and also having a leash. That way, if he's doing something where he doesn't require the dog to be actively guiding, then he still has control of the dog by the leash. That's, that's you know what, I guess I hadn't really, it's been a while, but I guess I hadn't thought of that, but that, that makes that makes total sense, Mike. If if somebody was listening and you and they wanted to be um, um, a, a puppy raiser, what would what 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 one piece of advice would you offer to that person that's listening right now? Since you've had that experience, um, I would probably tell them that it's it's just a, a amazing experience to go through. Um, it has a lot of benefits beyond just having the the puppy in your house for those 18 months or so, you you sort of become part of a member of a puppy raiser community. And I've made lots of good friends through the GDA program. Um, and it really, giving the dog up at the end of the 18 months is certainly difficult. I, I would be lying if I didn't say that it was, uh, you know, it's a, a emotional day. But mm-hmm. again, it, that 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 emotion changes from sadness to happiness when you realize what that dog is going to do. So I would say yeah. to people that that want to use that excuse that I don't think I can give the dog up. Uh, yeah, you can. Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. You, can. you know, Stephanie, we keep we keep mentioning families here because we, Mike was talking about his family and Kathy has a family. But do you ever work with single people that want to be puppy raisers? Absolutely. And just very quickly, if I can, you know, touch on what Mike said, how when people are saying, how can you give the dog up? I always look at it from the perspective of you're not giving the dog up, you're giving the dog forward. You're giving the dog, you're paying it forward so that this dog can go on and change somebody's life. Mm -hmm. And how amazing is it to, at the end of the day, know that you've been part of that. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. We often talk about working with puppy raiser families uh, but single applicants are absolutely welcome to to apply. And sometimes people say, oh, I can't do it. I don't have a yard. We welcome apartment dwellers, homeowners. Oh, good. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, certainly if you're a renter, of course, you have to have permission, you know, from your building manager to have a dog, you know, in the home. Um, but yes, mm-hmm. single people, families, all of all of the above. If you have the, the time um, to invest in this program, you are welcome to become part of the team. Wonderful. That's good information. Um, just out of curiosity, what percentage of the dogs actually make it all the way through and become guide dogs? It's a little under half, and that's that's pretty okay. much across the board with all, all the different guide dog schools. We like to say that mm-hmm. guide work guide dogs are kind of the astronauts of the service dog world. So this is, you mm-hmm. know, guiding is I think one of the more challenging, probably the most challenging facet of service dog work. And as, as Mike agree. said, oftentimes mm-hmm. we'll have a dog that gets career change from our guide dog program, um, but that shows remarkable potential to go on and become a service dog in a different type of service. Uh, so we, we do have career change dogs that go on to be service dogs. Um, they just mm-hmm. weren't designed. They, they decided guide dog work wasn't quite their calling. Okay. Well, that's, that's good to know that, that if there's, if one door sort of is kind of closing that another door can open and this dog can be of service to someone else. And that, that's, that's a wonderful thing to know. Um, if somebody of course, too, um, really, it's, it's worth saying to, it's too, it, it's also worth saying that as the puppy raiser, if the dog you raised does get career changed, you have first right of refusal to adopt that dog. Wow. Isn't that something to keep in mind? Mm, that's interesting. I didn't know yeah. that. So um, if people really can't commit to raising a puppy, but they mm-hmm. would still like to support Guide Dogs of America, what could they do? How could they support you? Oh, my gosh. There are so many different ways you can get involved. Um, of course, you know, you can support us financially. We do not receive any state or federal funding. Um, so we, you know, rely heavily on, you know, contributions from uh, members of the community. Uh, you can mm-hmm. volunteer in lots of different ways. We are so fortunate. Our volunteer base is fantastic. We have volunteers that work in the kennels. We have volunteers that work in the admin building. We have the highly coveted volunteer puppy hugger position. Sure. Um, so there are lots and lots of different ways to to get involved. Uh, You can also, um, we're looking at expanding our puppy raising program. We also use puppy sitters. So oftentimes someone who's a puppy raiser, they need to go out of town or or do something where it wouldn't be appropriate to take their puppy with them. Um, And the way that we handle that is certainly if the dog is over six months old, we ask puppy raisers to bring the dogs and board with us here at the kennel. But when they're, they're younger, we, we don't want to put the puppies in a kennel environment. So puppy raisers network amongst other members in their group, and they'll puppy sit for each other. We, we require that our puppies stay with GDA people as opposed to sure. maybe asking your neighbor to come over and, and watch right. the dog for you. Um, so we're certainly looking at, you know, d- uh, developing a, a program for people who maybe they can't take on the full commitment, the full, like, 15-month commitment of raising a puppy of their own, but if they'd like to participate in the program and be able to lend their services as a puppy sitter, um, that's something that, that they can also mm-hmm. do. So 
the short answer is there are lots of ways people can get involved. It sounds great. I mean, really, I, and the fact that you don't have to live in California but might live in Canada or Michigan that to know that your dog that you've been puppy raising and now has gone to college and now is needing their, what do you call what do you call the well, person actually, that if takes I can, the dog if I can, home? If I can correct you, so you're talking please. about you don't oh, have to live in California. Just to be clear, to raise a puppy, you do. To raise a puppy, you do right. need to live in Southern California. No, oh, okay. I, I'm sorry. Maybe I okay. wasn't clear. But I, I to receive that puppy. But I just wanted to clarify no, no, no. that point. Yes. No, that's very important. I, I guess, and I may have misspoke. So to to receive that puppy, you can live anywhere. Yes. You just have to obviously Absolutely. be here to raise that puppy. It's just, I just think it's, it's just it's so great, and I think that people that are listening now have to understand, um, if they didn't before, just what a valuable program this is, and I am so thrilled. I've been wanting you guys to come to my show for so long, and I would, I would love for you to come back at a later date, maybe after a graduation or something like that, and we can continue this conversation because there's so much to be said about what it is you both do. And I'm just I'm grateful for your time, Mike. I appreciate what you've done. Stephanie, I, it's, just, it's just fabulous what you do and where you work. To my Thank friend you. Kathy that's allowed me to just talk about my experience with her and Vanco. Um, it, was really, it was really important. And I'm just very, very thrilled that you were both um, able to join me today. Well, thank you, and we certainly appreciate thank you very that, much. You know, your support. Yeah, we appreciate your support of our, our program. And one thing I, I will add, because I don't think it came up, and it often surprises people, um, not only do we provide guide dogs to clients from throughout the country in Canada, we do so at no cost to them. Oh. So clients do not pay anything to receive the dogs. And, you know, from... Uh, the dog itself, to the transportation to and from campus, to the time that they're here, that is at, at zero cost. And that often that's, often surprises people. So it's, it's an important point to make. And it costs about $48,000 from start to finish to successfully raise, train, and place each working guide dog. And our clients receive the dogs for free. Thank you for saying that. That would have been a regret not to have had that Dated. I'm sorry we didn't say it at the top of the show. Um, maybe when I go and post this, um, we can remind our, our, our listeners and our people on social media that it costs $48,000 approximately to raise a dog, but the person that receives the dog pays nothing. It's free. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow, that's really, that's, wow, that can be so emotional. Um, yeah. I just, once again, just thank you so, so very much. I look forward to having a second show with you maybe at the end of the year um, and finding out what's happening next. And perhaps Mike's got another dog that he'll tell us about. But in the meantime, for those of you listening, you know, you just never know. Visit the website. Um, if you want to put some money towards a harness, because they are expensive, I'm certain that you would not um, deny that contribution. So once again, everybody, thanks so much for joining me. I'll be back again next week with another story about passion and excitement because everybody has those stories. And I have another great show next week all about education and what a teacher means to students that were fifth graders 
that are now people that are considerably older. So once again, thanks for joining me, and I'll see you again next week, everybody. Thank you. Thank you. I'm in Glendale and found love in the South Bay. Yes, I find myself in an L.A. long-distance thing. Guess who helped make it work? AT&T. I bought one phone, got another one on them. And romance is alive on the 101. Come into an AT&T store, buy a smartphone, and get one on us. More for your thing. That's our thing. Limited time and areas. Select devices. Each requires up to $900 on installment agreement. Requires one new line of minimum $75 per month service. Free after credits over 30 months, starting within three bills. If canceled service, device balance is due. $30 activation, additional fees, taxes, and restrictions apply. See your local AT&T store for details. I'm in Glendale and found love in the South Bay. Yes, I find myself in an L.A. long-distance thing. Guess who helped make it work? AT&T. I bought one phone, got another one on them. And romance is alive on the 101. Come into an AT&T store, buy a smartphone, and get one on us. More for your thing. That's our thing. Limited time and areas. Select devices. Each requires up to $900 on installment agreement. Requires one new line of minimum $75 per month service. Free after credits over 30 months, starting within three bills. If canceled service, device balance is due. $30 activation, additional fees, taxes, and restrictions apply. See your local AT&T store for details.